stand for the reading of the word. I'd like to go to the book of John, and I'd like to go to verse 38 of chapter 19, the book of John. John 19, 38. We'll begin reading there, and we'll read five verses here. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was one of was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. And Nicodemus also, who had earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, and they bound it in linen clothes with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Larry, will you say a prayer over the remainder of service? Yes, Jesus. Amen. And everyone may be seated. So Sunday we preached, we talked about some of the things that the Lord Jesus Christ went through and the burden that he carried of the cross. And Sister Fran put it so eloquently when I went up. She said, that was a pretty heavy message, Pastor. Good, but heavy. And, and I, I, I agree with your endorsement of it. And it was a heavy message. I feel that it was in the will of God, and I feel that God is, is just moving and he's speaking to us, and when I was studying for today, I truthfully did not necessarily just choose to kind of pick up where we left off, and I was just reading, and, and the Lord began to, to deal with me about this, but he sets all things in order. And all things seem to flow very smooth together when it's the will of God. And I pray that I'm in the will of God tonight. But I want to talk and teach and preach a little bit about involvement and being involved. Scripture in John here, we read that Joseph of Arimathea, it says that he was a disciple of Jesus. Does everybody understand that? Okay, that's pretty straightforward. He was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews. And some of you are like, well, why, why would he be a disciple in secret? We're going to get to that in just a minute. But there are disciples that follow Jesus in secret. We have many missionaries overseas in various countries who are discipling the testimony of Christ in secret. 
because if the countries that they were in found out, they would be kicked out or worse, persecuted or dare I say even executed. And so there are times where we have to serve God in secret. We live here in a wonderful community in a great nation where we have the freedom of religion and we have the freedom of worship and we can outwardly endorse Christianity and we can outwardly speak about our beliefs, about our doctrine without fear of repercussions or being persecuted for now. And as long as we can do it, we will do it publicly. But more live tabernacle, should the day ever come when we're persecuted, we will do it in the manner in which we see fit before the Lord, but it may involve some secrecy. But nevertheless, whether it's open or in private, we will serve the Lord. We will make it to the end. We will see this through. And Joseph of Arimathea is a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of fear. And he goes to Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. And he does this, this act in secret. He, he approaches Pilate in the shadows because of the Jews. And his walk with God is in the shadows because of the Jews. And he approaches Pilate and he says, I want to have the body of Jesus to bury him. And it says that when Joseph received permission from Pilate, that Nicodemus also, anybody rec remember Nicodemus? Okay, earlier, John 3, chapter 3, right? Nicodemus was also a disciple of Jesus in secret. And Nicodemus, so he, he goes with Joseph and Nicodemus brings mixtures of myrrh and spices and ointments and aloes and he's going to anoint the body and he's going to put the, the herbs and the spices, the fragrance, fragrances. They didn't embalm bodies like we do today. You know, we can have a casket here in this very sanctuary and people approach the deceased loved one and they pay their respects and they say their goodbyes and many times there's tears and there's mourning. But the body doesn't typically stink where it's, it's just toxic and we got to put clothespins on our nose and we got to put Vicks under our nose to be able, because it's embalmed. But in that day, they didn't do such things. And so a body would smell. And so these myrrhs, these fragrance, fragrances was to help cover that, but also it was a sign of respect that you were trying to make the body of your loved one humanely, as, as long as you possibly could. It was just a way of honoring the dead, of, of just being proper. And it cost a lot of money. It's in Scripture where it says it was 75 pounds. That's a lot. And so it shows that the care of concern that Nicodemus had for Jesus. And by placing him in a brand new tomb, this isn't a, a hole dug six feet in the ground with a backhoe in a cemetery. This is where they took rocksmiths and they, they carved out a tomb in the limestone and it was expensive to have this done, especially a virgin tomb that had never been used before and it was a lot of money and it showed the level of care that these 
disciples in secret, in private, had for Jesus, their master. Now there's a difference between the disciple Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus than the twelve disciples or the disciples that walked openly. But nevertheless, they're all disciples. The twelve disciples that were following Jesus openly, Matthew 10.1, it says that God gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So the disciples that were in open were given power over spirits, were given power to heal, were given power to do signs and wonders. They, they had certain authority that other people didn't have, but they had a different office in the eyes of God. For the twelve disciples were also the twelve apostles, and, and they were granted special authority, and they, there were certain doors that were opened for them that it seems was not opened for everyone else. But they were all disciples. Whether we're talking about Nicodemus, whether we're talking about Joseph, or whether we're talking about Paul or Peter, they're all disciples. But they served in different capacities. The twelve disciples, he said, go among the Gentiles and enter no towns of Samaria. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 10, 8. God told these 12, he said, go heal the sick, go raise the dead, go cleanse lepers, go cast out demons, and you're going to receive without payment, but give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or tunics or sandals or a staff. For your laborer deserves his, for the laborer deserve, deserves his food. Now these men were given great power in the spirit realm. They could cleanse lepers, they could cast out demons, they could raise the dead. But he said, you're not to take money for your payment. That the people you help, they'll feed you. But you live off of what people feed your belly. And you don't live off the wealth of the land. But here's the thing, Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy, and Nicodemus was wealthy. They were disciples that were allowed to have wealth, but they didn't carry the spiritual power that the apostles carried. But they were all disciples of God. But the twelve apostles were disciples that were in the forefront. But Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were in private. But they all loved God. He told 72 other disciples. These are not the 12 apostles, 72 others. He said, I'm going to go out into city and city and to preach and to teach and to spread this word. And the 72, Luke 10, 17, come back to the Lord with joy and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And I've given you authority over the power of the enemy. That means the power of demons, the power over demonic spirits, that they were given the authority. These are people that had to be given the authority because they not yet had been baptized with the authority of the Holy Ghost. And so he said, I give you the authority over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. 
these disciples were out in public professing the name of Jesus. And God told them, I'm going to give you a little bit of special help. You're going to do these great things. So disciples in the open were given great things and great ability and power and authority of God. But you don't read about this authority and that power being given to Nicodemus and Joseph. Not in a negative manner. What we read from them is that their names are recorded in the book of life. They're in the Bible as being his disciples. And the role that Joseph of Arimathea played is priceless, Brother Larry. This is the disciple that approached Pilate because he was afraid of the Jews in private and he said, I want to bury that man hanging on the cross. I want to put him in a tomb. Can I have your permission? And he didn't even know he was dead at the time. He said, he's dead this quick? And he sent centurions to go see. And the centurions came back and said, sure enough, Pilate, he's dead. And Pilate then gave permission to Joseph and Nicodemus to take him. But this is being recorded in the Bible. That this, this private, secret disciple, his act that was done, right? The scripture says all things done in private shall be made known openly. The disciples, the twelve, you know what else they did? They went up on a mountaintop with God. They got into a boat. And they went through some storms with God. It wasn't Joseph of Arimathea that, that said, Hey Lord, if that's you walking on the water, tell me to come to you. That was Peter. Joseph of Arimathea, he never got a water walking experience. He didn't get to do those things. You see, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were in a council of the Jews called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was the religious count, judicial council of the nation of Israel. And this court, if you would, these group of judges, there were 71 of them. You know why there were 71? It's an odd number. That means there would never be a tie vote. 71 people, 71 judges in the Sanhedrin. And so any matter that came before them, they would rule on civil matters, they would rule on criminal matters, they would rule on disputes. The only thing that was not given into the hands of the Sanhedrin was capital punishment. Capital punishment was saved for the rule of Roman, of Rome. Except when it came to the stoning of Stephen. They kind of lost their cool there. Do you know that it was the Sanhedrin that Stephen stood before and he testified to them and he rebuked them and he chastised them and he convicted them and he condemned them with the word of God? And they got so mad that they began to gnash their teeth, the scripture says, and they were mad at him violently. And when they took him, they drug him out of the city and they beat him and they stoned him. And when they stoned him, those that did it took their coats off as a testimony that they were acting in the eyes of God. And they laid them at the Apostle Paul's feet, who was called Saul at that time. And he was standing there consenting to the death of Stephen. But 
was trained. You ever heard of a guy called Gamaliel in the Bible? He was an esteemed teacher of the law of Moses who in fact ruled the Sanhedrin. And he was the one who trained the Apostle Paul in the law of Moses and in the, the art of politics and religion. It was Gamaliel's teaching that put the fire in Saul's belly to persecute Christians. All from the Sanhedrin. But it was the Sanhedrin, this 71 group of men, that Joseph of Arimathea held a seat on. And Nicodemus held a seat on. And the scripture says that Joseph of Arimathea did not consent to the actions nor the verdict of Jesus Christ. When did that take place? Remember the story when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and then the, the, the elders came and they capture him. They took him to the, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest, who ruled the Sanhedrin. And they stood there and they saw Jesus at the whipping post and they began to judge him and convict him by their Judaic laws. And do you know that two disciples of Christ was on that panel? Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were sitting there among the 71 looking at their Lord and Savior, hearing the threats, hearing the, the, the blasphemies, hearing the false accusations of what Jesus had done. How could any disciple keep his composure? They did. But it says in the Word of God that Joseph of Arimathea did not consent to it. But remember, there's 71 members and there is no tie vote. And I think that Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus's vote, those are the only two I know about. There might be some others, but those are the two I know about. So it was two against 69. They didn't go along with it. But yet they held political, religious positions before Israel. Could you imagine being God sitting there and seeing all these the elders of the Sanhedrin judge him and him looking and seeing not only we, we love the story of how he looked at Jesus or looked at Peter. And the scripture doesn't record this, but I, I, I can't imagine Jesus not seeing Joseph and Nicodemus there. Jesus seeing the man that would buy his tomb. The man that would anoint his body with fragrance. We're there watching and in silent pleading for their God, in silent begging, but not publicly allowed to disclose their allegiance nor their discipleship to Christ. Joseph Arimathea, he had money. He wasn't the one out laying hands and cleansing lepers. He wasn't the one that was behind the pulpit. He was the disciple that sat on the pew. 
and was faithful with tithes and faithful with giving to missionaries. And when a need arose, said, I'll give. The moment came when the saint of God that had been hiding in the shadows and had not been putting himself out in public and had not been making a spectacle and letting the spotlight shine on him. But the moment came in Joseph's life where he had to step up and step out and not hide the light that was within him. And he had to be the salt of the earth. He had to be the light that was set on a hill. At the moment came when Joseph had to go before Pilate and he had to say, I'm exposing who I am. I'm exposing who I'm aligned with. I'm exposing who I agreed with. I need the body of Jesus Christ. I've got to pay my last respects. I've got to do something in the final minutes while he's still here on earth. I've got to do something. Joseph, you could have made yourself known. You could have spoke out earlier. You could have did this and do that. That's what humans say. Brother Larry said it's life. It's life. It's the flesh that looks at that and judges. I'm not Joseph of Arimathea's judge. I'm not the judge of Nicodemus. I don't lay any blame on them. I'm glad that there were men of God, men that followed Jesus, that sat on that council and could give some other advice and could speak up against the wickedness and evilness. I know that they didn't just throw themselves out there, but they did the work of God. Nicodemus it cost him money. A lot of money. That was expensive. Joseph of Arimathea had cost him a lot of money. But when the hour came and when they felt their name called to stand up and do something, they did it. Let me ask you something. Where were the 12 apostles? Where were they at? When Joseph walked before Pilate and said, I want the body of my master. Where were the men of God that walked on water? Where were the men of God that were cleansing leprosy? Where were the men of God that were raising the dead? Where were the men of God that were used to, to cast out demons and to tread on serpents and to drink any deadly thing and it didn't touch them? Where were the men of God that were given the authority? You see, there's many things of God that is His will and are divine acts of mercy that aren't behind the pulpit. At foot washing and communion, the men were over there, and, and Brother Kenny, you, you, you wanted to say something, and we let you. And you said, I'm telling you, there's, there's a small percentage of people that will stand behind the pulpit. And you said, I can't do their job, and they can't do mine. Peter could not do the job of Joseph and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus and Joseph couldn't do the job of Paul and Peter. But they were all disciples. More Life Tabernacle today we're heading into. I titled this Involved because I feel that many of you, God has put in your belly a fire, a desire to become involved in the kingdom of God. 
that there's been something in your heart, there's been a passion, there's been a focus, there's been a drive that has flooded you over the last couple of years, last couple of months, that you're tired of the way you've been heading, you've been tired of sitting on a pew, you've been tired of just doing what's average, you've been tired of doing only what's expected of you, but there's been a calling on your life, a calling to get up to arise, to become involved, to let your ministry be known by the darkness of this world. God's not calling you all to stand behind this pulpit and be a preacher. In fact, He'll call very, very few of you because he doesn't need everyone up here preaching, otherwise there'd be nobody out there to preach to. He's not calling everybody to be in the choir, otherwise who are you singing to? The sound man? Not everyone in this congregation is going to be rich. Not everyone's going to be poor either. Not everyone's going to be middle of the road. Some of your callings is to give into the offering plate. And I'm not preaching on money, but it's part of it. Joseph, whatever he was, was gifted with money. And he said, I see a need in the body of Christ. He needs a place to have a final resting. And I'm not going to put him in any used grave. I'm not going to put him in any stinking with mold on it that, that's had decomposing before, that it's had death in it before. See, my God, Jesus, deserves the best I can do for him. He deserves all that I can give him. Some of you got talents, and it's not just your paycheck. It's not just your pocketbook, but some of you are skilled in labor. Some of you are skilled in education. Some of you have talents. You're skilled with your hands. You're skilled with your mind. You're skilled with administrations. You're thinking, well, but I don't know how God can use me. It's just going to take you to arise before him and say, God, this is what I'm good at. I can, I, can, I can do this, I can do that. God, use me in this and use me in that. You know how many people sit in our congregation and you've been given a gift to play music? You've got a gift of a voice, but yet you won't sing, but yet you won't play Some of you have a gift of encouragement. You know how to speak so kind and so polite and so uplifting. And when I walk away from you, I feel like a new man. I feel like I can conquer the world. I can, I can slay any Goliath. You, you just lift my heart and my spirit. But yet, Thanksgiving service comes and there's no testimony out of your mouth. Oh, we're, we're hitting. We're hitting. 
Some of you have been drug addicts, and you've had other addictions. We've got addicts in this place. It's not just drugs. A lot of addictions nowadays, I think, that probably rival drugs. Number one being video games. If you're like, what? You have no idea. You need to wake up and come into this century. And if you think video games are still on a computer, you need to come into this century. It's on the phone. Pornography on the phone. On the phone. Used to be basement dwellers in the, in the computer. Nope. It's right there on the phone. Gambling addictions in the casino? Nope, on the phone. On the phone. Sports betting, racehorse betting down at the tracks? No, right on the phone. Right on the phone. We've got people from all different walks, all kinds of addictions. I'm not throwing shade. I'm giving glory to God that he's forgiven our sins and our trespasses. But I'm also trying to drive this train tonight by the leading of the Holy Ghost down the tracks that, hey, listen, if we've got a bunch of recovered addicts, we've got a bunch of recovered sinners, we've got a bunch of recovered just kind of low-down people, and I'm chief of them. If we've got a bunch of recovering sinners, then I'm telling you, we've got to become a minister for those that are trapped in our past sins, but those that need a voice, those that need a helping hand. We've got to become involved. It's not enough to come and hear the preaching of the Word. It's not enough to come and hear the teaching of the Word. It's not enough to come and hear the wonderful music of worship and praise. It wasn't enough for Nicodemus to meet the Lord at the midnight hour and say, what must I do to be saved? you got to be born again, Nicodemus. It's not enough. It's not enough. That every person that's here, including me, we should feel the conviction of the call. It's not just your bishop and pastor and Brother Larry that's got a call on their life. Every single person in this place has got the call of God to a ministry of God for the kingdom of God. Baby, I'm going to take some of your material and you can yell at me later. But we were talking about our elders and our elder wives. And I got a question for every elder wife that's in this place. Are you married to an elder or are you an elder's wife? There's a difference. If you're married to an elder, and he's the minister and you act like you have no ministry. My wife is called the first lady of More Life Tabernacle. 
She's not married to the pastor. Our elder wives, you've got a ministry just like your husband. We've got young ladies that need to be prayed for in this altar. We've got young people that need to be taught in classrooms. We've got people that need a woman to be an authority in their lives. And I'm pretty fair. I'm not just going to hit the elders' wives. I'll hit the elders. See, it's top down. The elders in this church, Brother Anthony, you're standing. You're one of them. I'm just going to use you. You got thick skin to take it. But if your attitude and the attitude of the elders is that it's on pastor and it's on bishop to do the ministering in this church, you're in the wrong church. I'm not God. I'm not Superman. I'm Josh Aaron. I grew up in this church, and if I sat down, you can probably write a list of my failures longer than Satan can. I think some of the memory of the saints of God is better than Lucifer's. If I asked God the list of my mistakes, the only thing I would see is his name and blood. Folks, what I'm saying, and I know that I'm, I'm, I'm playing unfair. I've got the mic, you don't. I know that it might not be fair, but fair is a four-letter F word. And needs not to be uttered before the throne. God is just. What we deem as fair is falsehood. It wasn't fair that the apostles had the authority and the power and did the open signs. It wasn't fair that they got recognition. It wasn't fair that John was able to lay his head on Jesus' chest and be the one in the Bible called the disciple he loved. That's not fair. And it wasn't fair that they were told to do great things but be poor. While Joseph of Arimathea could make money and sit on the high council. It's not fair. More Life Tabernacle, I can preach this way because you are strong in the Holy Ghost. And I know I've got your attention and you're listening to the voice of the Lord. We've got to get rid of an attitude, it's not fair. We've got to get rid of that. Just eliminate it from our vocabulary. Life's not fair. When things happen, it's called life. Our positions in God are not the same. We're no better than one another, but what we are commanded to work and the plow that our hands touch is different. I've got to plow the field from the platform and from my office and from counseling. But you plow the field from your job, from your workplace, from your home, from the streets. Everybody's got
got jealous because I went to Key West. I was working the ministry of God in Key West, trying to plow the field down there. But you know how you help plow the fields in Key West? When you gave for their building fund. When you go into the prayer room and you start calling their name. And because I haven't been playing fair tonight, I'm going to continue that method. I don't want to confuse you. But honey, a lot of you say, yeah, pastor, you still went to Key West. Right. And I stayed in a camper. How many people would stay in a camper? Yeah, you did. You know, there's always that one. I, I would do it. then come on. There's some people in this church that have been there. Stayed in tents. Slept on a boat that smells like fish. Josh Granger was here. He slept on a boat in the middle of a, a tropical storm. Mosquitoes biting you. Rough life. Somebody had to do it. But your calling's not mine. And mine isn't yours. And that camper could only fit three at best. But you got to stay. And you do what you got to do. What you're called to do. Every one of us has a different calling. The musicians would come because the hour is getting late. But if you notice, there's only a few that are coming. Because not everyone is called to have that. When I talked to Sister Pam about her taking Eden ministry and working as church secretary, She's, she's just lovely and brilliant to work with, and I enjoy it very much. But she said, don't have me up front. Please, Pastor, don't have me walk up in front of the people. That's not her. She's getting antsy back there because I'm even mentioning her name. But she loves to work behind the scenes. And she'll work circles around almost anybody in this church. But that's what she is. That's what God's put in her life. Brother Ray, when are you going to sing a solo up here? And the church said amen. But he sat. He's an audiophile. He sat back there tweaking and tweaking and tweaking frequencies pitches, tones. Because that's what his ministry is. Mimi, you got your nursing degree. You deal with health all the time. We're in the works of doing things that involve mental health and physical health and community health. Sister Kathy's a retired nurse and she's still 
involved in these things. We've got people with skills and abilities. Brother John's a brainiac. He's probably the smartest man in this church. I can't do what he did. I'm not John. But I need John. I need Sister Pam. I need Brother Ray. I need my sister Meme. I need Sister Cat. I need each and every one of you to be you. And to do what God has called you to do. Don't just be a pew sitter. We've got a lot of elders. Go to an elder and say, I want to get involved. Sister Rachel's running our outreach department. Go to Sister Rachel. See Sister Pam about Eden ministry if you you feel something. Sister Fran's trying to start a ministry. Oh, there should have been a bigger amen. Sister Fran's one of our babies. You're probably maybe the toddler stage now. And she's like, Pastor, I want to do more. I'm like, more? You're already playing the cello. You're in elements. I want to do more. I've heard one of our babies already ask, but there's been seasoned saints of God that have never asked. We've all got to get into the attitude, Lord, I want to get involved. Not just with my mouth, not just with my worship, not just with my praise, but I want to get involved in my time. I want to get involved with my commitment. all stand. I'm about to open an opportunity for involvement here. I want to know who wants to get involved with working an altar. It's free. It doesn't pay very much. say that again. You didn't hear him. He said it's got a wonderful retirement plan. More Life Tabernacle, I I look out across this, and this is a Wednesday night. This is the wrong crowd to even be preaching this message to because it's the ones that showed up midweek. This is the faithful few. This is the ones that do the work. But I guess if there's ever a message to put to the ones that are worker, it's about what else we can do. And I'd like us all, if we could, to just find our place in this altar. I'd like us all to come to the altar if we could. And if you can't make it due to health, that's okay. Just stay where you're at. But, but if we can all make an effort to come to the altar tonight on this Wednesday, and I'd like us to ask the Lord a question. I'd like every one of us to ask the Lord this question. Lord, 
Where can I put my hand that I can work the field? Lord, what more can I do for you, God? I want to do more for you. Set before my eyes, set in my mind's eye, your desire. Lord, what is it that I can work, God? What part of the field hasn't been tilled yet, Lord? God, teach me how to work the field. God, give my hands the strength, my legs the strength, God. Lord, I want to begin to plow where no man's plowed before. I want to plant where no man's planted before. Lord, help me to be me and you. <laughs>